Welcome to Teeth and Tea. My name is Nicole Ortega. And I'm Allison Cuevas. And we are two RDHAPs in California that teamed up to talk all things dental with you. Today, our topic is the life of an RDHAP and what that means and how do we feel about it. So I wanted just to open that up to, with you, to you, Allison, and, you know, we can get this podcast going. So first of all, I want to say that a lot of hygienists have the idea of becoming an RDHAP in their mind. And um, a lot of them reach out to me and ask me a lot of questions about it. So I feel like it's a really good podcast and topic. Um, I went to UOP up in San Francisco. And um, Nicole, you did as well. Yes, I went to UOP. And I heavily advocate for the RDHAP. Yes. And um, the way me and Nicole even found out about each other is that um, Nicole actually created a book for RDHAPs on how to become an RDHAP and start your own practice. And so I connected with her because I was so interested. I was in the unknown. And um, that's how we even became friends. And so it was so exciting that we get to help others um, you know, join this whole community in becoming RDHAPs and helping patients. And, and it's so exciting and so fun. Um, it's so fun. It's so rewarding. And I also feel it's very self-fulfilling. Absolutely. So first step I think that we should talk about is like um, the program. So in California, there are two programs. There is West LA and there's also UOP. So one is in Los Angeles and the other one is in San Francisco. Um, Now I chose San Francisco's UOP program because it was an online course and you just go up for the first day and then graduation. And that worked with my schedule. And in LA, it was a in-person course. Now, because of coronavirus, I think everything is online. Is that correct? I want to say yes. Currently, everything's online. And so I would say go for proximity and, and maybe cost. I, I do not know now what the cost, the fees are associated with each program. So maybe that will weigh into it. But either way, I think if you're thinking about it and you are able to do it because it provides access to care and now capitalizing what you said about the coronavirus and taking it a step further, there is no safer place to get dental hygiene treatment than your home. So I feel that the absolutely is going to be huge in California and there's going to be more people that need and want to be treated at home. Absolutely. So same thing. Um, the coronavirus really did boost, um, you know, everybody's awareness, I think, about health and about safety and about, you know, infection control and germs and all those things. And we, you know, we treat a vulnerable population, people who are disabled and are elderly and, you know, homebound really, and they can't leave their house. And so it's been a really good thing to have, you know, just in general, just knowing that we are able to go into people's homes and clean their teeth in a, you know, bring all of our sterile instruments and all of our, um, everything, you know, we're suited in our gowns and our shields and our N95 masks. And just, you know, that's just for a patient's perspective. I think they're really, really happy. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you're not walking into a dental office being exposed to the potential of others aerosols and just that factor alone 
is huge um, knowing that you're decreasing your risk from not just coronavirus, but other viruses in general. And I think that more people are going to actually choose at-home care despite of their need per se, despite their, if they're elderly or special needs or a different population or niche that we technically would provide that care to, I think people are going to say, please come to my house and clean my teeth because I do not want to go to the dentist's office and have that potential exposure. And um, I think that we'll see a whole new group of just people needing wanting care. Um, and for instance, I have an aunt and she has, um, she is, is at home. She's like, I think I want to say she's almost 70, but she has, you know, like hypertension and she has been at home this entire time since March has not left. Not one minute of the day. She has people bring her groceries and her doctor called her and said, you know, we really don't want you going out. Um, she has, um, fibromyalgia and she, I, I guess because of the stress of like coronavirus, she's got anxiety about leaving. She was like, you know, even my doctor says I can't, I literally, they don't want me going out. They don't want me, you know, to be exposed. And so she's like, can you come clean my teeth? And I was like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Mm -hmm. she's like the type of person that would normally go to a dental office, but you know, because of the coronavirus, she has not left not one minute since they put the lockdown. Yeah. Down. So, well, good. And that's not, there's a lot of people that I know that are just like that. You know, it's created a lot of stress yes. for a lot of people. Yes. I think our lives have changed and it really is opening up the door. And I hope that we can work on policy potentially as RDTPs in California, because I feel that the need is so severe and it's actually the future of care for, especially for dental hygiene, because yes, of course, if you need a restoration in terms of like a crown, right, you will go into the dental office. If you broke your tooth, you need endodontic, et cetera, treatment. But if you need a teeth cleaning, stay home and we can come to you. And we do, we have that Mm -hmm. utmost highest standard in providing these services, this type of care. We take, like you said, all the precautions with the respirator, with the mask, face shield, covering, etc. We go to lengths to ensure that we do not cross-contaminate and we have specialized infection control procedures. Absolutely. And um, I will say, so for... So after becoming an RDHAP, like, let's talk about the different things that happen because I feel like a lot of patient people are maybe, that's what they're really curious right. about. Not only going into school, but also what Next. happens after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, after you complete the program, you do have to take the law and ethics exam, but also I feel like you should really think through to, to make sure that you're making the right decision. Do you really want to have your own practice? Is that something you can afford? Is that something that you really want to deal with? Because it, you know, it's not just like I'm going to go clock in and clock out. It's a whole different ballgame. So I think having that conversation through your, with yourself and thinking through that thought idea is paramount. And then definitely taking that law and ethics exam is what's required to actually obtain the licensing. Mm-hmm. And I will say that that is a big, big factor. Um, I myself was, you know, excited to have my own practice and 
I was kind of naive in the sense that I was just like, oh, this is going to be so easy. I'm going to be able to like build my own schedule. Then it's going to be so like just a walk in the park. And then when you get into the thick of it, it's a really reality of you. When you work into an office, you walk in and there's like normally a back office manager that orders all of your supplies. And there's assistants that sterilize your instruments. And there is just a lot of checks and balances Mm -hmm. all around. And, you know, someone is collecting the bills if you're doing, you know, if they take insurance, you don't even see any of that process at all. And then when you become an RDHAP, it's like you get to order all of the gauze, the suctions, the everything, gloves, gowns. Um, You know, I bought my own sterilization unit and the ultrasonic. I mean, the list goes on and on and it's a real reality when you're in the thick of it. Not only that, I want to back up. So after you take your lawn ethics exam, there's still a lot of things you need to do. You need to get a DBA, uh, doing business license. You need to name your practice. You need to um, get licensure from the city that you live in. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get malpractice insurance. Um, what else? What other things do you have to get done? Yeah, there's a lot of things after you gain licensure that you need to do, like the national provider number, like the MPI number. Yes. I would say start there and then build out because you do have to get a permit through the city that you reside. I know people have a lot of questions that I received on my end saying, well, I'm going to be providing care in this city and this city and that city, but I live here. So do I need business licenses in every city that I'm going to be providing care? And the short answer is no. Get one business license and get it in the city where you reside. Um, Mm -hmm. And right now, email. Email that city and inquire because ultimately you're not going to be able just to walk in probably and get these documents and it's a process. So email the city that you live in even even before you're on HAP and even see what the fees are, see what the obstacles that you have or what paperwork do you have to fill out to get a business license and then what that fee is because every city, it ranges. Um, so those are some of the other steps. But yeah, there is a lot of back end work that goes into becoming an RDHAP and having your actual business. Yes. And just like you said, I think for me, that was um, a big eye opener as far as being a business owner. I had never, ever done any of these different paperwork, going to a courthouse and doing all these different steps that it takes. Yeah. Filing and doing all that. It's a really exciting experience, but it's a lot of time. So I think I had this conception in my head. I'm going to graduate as RDHAP and I'm going to start my business. And in reality, it took me like at least a year and a half from graduation to, you know, uh, getting even just all the paperwork together to to then buy all the equipment and start. First patient. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. really think it is a process. And that's also why I created Starting Simple. And fast forward from 2017 when it was published, I'm launching it. Hopefully in a couple of weeks it'll be out. And it sounds like a whole new book because dentistry has evolved so much. And therefore, our dentistry has evolved. And we, and we need it to evolve, especially in this time. So it really has broken it down to just step-by-step, start here, A through Z. And then I've uh, added a lot of new equipment because of COVID. A lot of new equipment we had to invest, you know, we had to invest in our practices. We had to bring it up to 
standard of care and actually trying to exceed that standard of care with our niche population. Yes. So I definitely think you're dead on in saying it's not a walk in the park. It's not like you're going to go take that uh, class, take the exam, and start seeing patients. You do want to do due diligence because your practice and things that you own are at stake. So whether you choose to be a sole proprietor or incorporated, that's a big decision in your in your business because if you hold a lot of liability seeing these patients and therefore you want to protect yourself and protecting your assets, whether it's a home, a vehicle, etc. If you get sued, your business online if you are not incorporated, then your actual personal home, vehicle, etc. again can be uh, gone out. So I do think that, again, these are different things that you should be aware of and think through and try to set yourself up in the best posture possible from the beginning. Yeah. And I will say, um, I was able to talk to a lot of different, um, you know, attorneys and, uh, business attorneys and, um, tax, um, professionals. And basically, what I found is that if your business and you're starting out, you should probably be a sole proprietor until your business makes more than $40,000. Once your business becomes, um, you know, profitable and you're making over $40,000, then you should begin incorporated. Uh, that's pretty much what I found from a lot of research and meetings and things like that. So no, that's great tip because it is true because you're putting so much, out in first in terms of money so much goes out in the beginning just to get going to see that first patient mm-hmm. that it takes a while to recoup it and actually start making money so you can save in the beginning and don't have to be incorporated but i do agree i think that once you start seeing money coming back in uh, it just is a good idea to protect yourself when that time permits. yes absolutely and um and yeah i think that it's really important also just from a business perspective like um making sure that you are very organized with all of your receipts um i will say like a little pointer that i found was that quickbooks has a self-employment app and anytime i purchased anything for the business i scanned the receipt into the app and it was like an easy breezy thing to just email over my tax um person over it uh, came like a spreadsheet and it was just easy to use and it was really convenient so I think that you know whatever works for you but you need to be very organized when tax season comes yeah no I you're right with that I mean keep your receipts and even if you scan them um, make sure you have maybe an extra printed out document because you rather be safe than sorry especially like you said when it comes tax time or whenever those next seven years roll around and you need to have that documentation to provide. Um, But all in all, I think that, you know, we've been focusing a lot on the steps and the processes of becoming the RDHAP, but I don't want that to to tear. Yeah. Yeah. Like to steer you the wrong way because yes, it's hard work, but nothing comes easy. Right. So yes. If you just feel like this is what you want to do and you have the ability to do it, I really say do it because for me personally, it has been the best decision I have ever made professionally. I love Absolutely. the RDHAP. 
And I know you love being an RDHAP. Oh yeah. It's been, it's been so good to me. I feel like I was ready for something bigger, something better. And this was like my answer. I felt like I was needed somewhere else and I wasn't like fulfilling my potential as a hygienist. I felt like I had done so many great things for the office that I was working at. I implemented like a hygiene protocol and making sure all my patients had like a perio revalve or deep cleaning. And I made so many great different things in the office, but I still felt like I was still like needing more. And it was so great to start this whole RDHAP business. It was like something that was very fulfilling. Um, and you know, I, I started because my, my aunt Sandy is, has cerebral palsy. She's in a wheelchair, her and her husband, and it was close to impossible to get him to the dental office. And so that was like my first patient. And that was like my first way of, um, you know, I did it because I wanted to help patients like her and just, you know, also be able to say like, I have my own business as well. And I think that it was, and it is, it is something that I, I'm really proud of. Um, and it's hard as a woman, you know, to be a mother and to own a business and to be on top of everything. I think it's definitely a challenge, but it's doable, you know, and you're doing it as well, you know? Yeah. I'm right there with you. I have to say that I'm a mother. I have two babies and one's four and one's going to be two. So they're always my babies, but yeah, they're young, and I do have um, my own RHTP business. You know, we have other stuff and gigs as well. We wear many hats, but um, I think providing that kind of care to people is everything. And I personally wanted to do this because my grandmother has been at all times, and seeing her total care just disintegrate over rapidly. When she went into the facility and became facility bound, and no one came in to the facility, you know, for any type of oral care, no one looked in her mouth, and it really broke my heart. So the last time we see her, she had a few front teeth. I want to say her two upper front teeth, and that was it. She struggled chewing on a piece of chicken for over an hour, and it just blew my mind. Like she had new teeth. How could she chew chicken? And there's been no dietary changes. And I'm still visitor and kind of infections now and I have to go through writing people who are power of attorney to then get that needed dental care in there because the risk of infection spreading, potential sepsis, and infections can be life threatening. So yeah, access to care has been so personal in my life that I really tend to just I want to serve any population, anybody and everyone from birth to uh end of life care absolutely very needed i feel like a lot of these homes no one looks inside the mouth it's very easy to extra orally observe things uh, but to look inside someone's mouth most people just don't do that and especially these facilities where they're already struggling with getting um, not only with covid right now but getting just them to take their medication getting them changed right because most of them are in diapers Absolutely. And just getting a vet, right? Just there's so much to do in taking care of a person. And we know that personally from being a mom. Absolutely. So oral care, oral health does get neglected. And that's something where I want to really advocate not only for our DHP, but for people's, for their own quality of life. You know, like we need to get out there and we need to help people 
not only so they can help themselves, but a lot of people can't. So we, are, we can be their eyes, we can be their voices, we can help be liaisons to their families, to their doctors, to specialists, to their dentists, to try to really help them so they're not in pain and they can really just have a great quality end of life. And I think that you hit it right on the head. Like our mouths are the gateway to the rest of our bodies. And, you know, a lot of patients, especially in these facilities, they are having such difficulties eating, just like you said. And I don't know why it it doesn't even cross people's minds that it could be their teeth, that their teeth are in pain and that, you know, that they cannot chew their food anymore because they have root tips in there and there's so many different things um and just like you said i had a a long-term hospice care patient and it was a really sad reality because she had been put on hospice and so her family thought okay she's you know end of life and she ended up living for two years can you imagine they called me in after nine yeah, after nine months, and when I got in there, I, you know, talked to the caregivers, and the first thing they said when I said, okay, so how's her oral care? And they said, oh, well, no, she doesn't allow us to open her mouth, and so we don't oh. brush her teeth. And so when I went in there the first day, I, you know, propped her mouth open, and I, I just spoke to her, and although she couldn't move, and although she was... um very delicate. I spoke and I said, I'm here to clean your teeth. And my name is Allison. And, and she opened for me. And she and when I opened her mouth and saw the amount of decay that was everywhere. I I actually sat with the family and I even broke it down like her diet. And I realized that they were giving her only juices all day long, apple juice, orange juice, and that was her source of nutrients because, it, again, she right. couldn't chew because she was in so much pain. Well, the reason she was in pain also was because the diet was so sugary and then no brushing. She had rampant yes. decay everywhere. It was it was a real eye-opener to me about it was my first reality of really that, like, RDAGPs are needed yes. so much. And that, you know, the life expectancy of everyone has right. gone up. So that means that we as a population need to be prepared for end of life care and be a little more diligent in making sure that, you know, for our own families and for, you know, everyone, it's really a big, it was a big eye opener. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that the RDGP is underutilized and it's really mainly because people do not know that we exist. And mm-hmm. I feel like more people Absolutely. that find out about RDHAPs, the services that we offer, what we can do for these patients that are facility bound or just do for the general public, it will be it would be huge. I really feel like we would see a huge trend not only in arresting decay and dental disease, but keeping yes. people eating and getting that nutrients in the body, which is essential to live. And so I really hope that California can make it a law. I really believe wholeheartedly that we should be as RDHAPs. We should have homes. I mean, I think schools I, Absolutely. I mean, I think we should definitely have a lot of where you need to go see children because kids just really suffer with not brushing. You, you know, it's hard. Parents are working long hours, especially in California. It's a high cost of living. They don't have time necessarily yes. to brush after their children. Children don't do not do a good job brushing alone. 
and their diet sometimes are questionable as well. So all of that compounded leads to children having dental disease, which are they're just cavities, and if that goes untreated, leads to pain as well, and it impacts not, uh, their future teeth, their adult permanent teeth. So I do think California, we need to be in schools, we need to be in every single care home and facility. We should be working with caregivers. Absolutely. We should be training these people because most of the time these caregivers, with all due respect, they really don't know the correct techniques to even use on themselves. So, you know, I think we should be helping them take care of their own mouths, empower them, show Absolutely. them. So I will harp uh, a little bit on that. So what I will say is that when I came in to, to treat that, that long-term hospice care patient, I realized that the caregivers were not supportive of me because they were like, oh no, you're going to have us do more things that, you know, right. um, we're already doing a lot of things. And so what I had to do was I really had to build a relationship with them and get them to be friends with me and like me and want me around. So I would bring them goodie bags, yes. like here's some toothbrush and floss. And that's, that's a really great point that you made up. I realized as well that they weren't taking care of their own oral health and they didn't find it important. Right. So it was something that I started from the ground up and realized that that's what I needed to do to be successful and it worked. And I think that that's a huge factor as well. And like you said, with the children, um, I have my master's in public health. And when I was getting my master's in public health, I actually volunteered with LAUSD and I started this universal fluoride program with the LA Trust. And we would go into, we first went by um, financial, like economic burden, which schools had the hardest the financial burden. So we went into those schools and we started with screening the children and seeing who had tooth decay. And what was it was totally a, a thought. I was gonna say, what, what did you see? Like, what was the reality of that? Well, that was a huge reality that oral health is extremely important and vital. And there were so many children that were sharing toothbrushes oh. with their siblings, with their mom. Oh my God. With, it, was, it was so, so heartbreaking. And the, the, we realized that the number one reason children were missing school was from tooth decay, yeah. was from pain. And that... These children, I mean, I could, in, a, in one classroom, we would see about two children that did not have tooth decay. The wow. majority of them, if not all, had tooth decay. And it was a really big eye opener. And um, I was able to teach them how to brush and floss. And I made a lot of songs. And it was a really great experience for me because I realized, like, this is, this is the reality of America. Yes. You know, we have a lot of sugary drinks. We have a lot of, you know, we don't push water as much for children. And, um, you know, a lot of, and even patients that drink bottled water aren't exposed to fluoride. So they're more susceptible to tooth decay. And I think that as a whole, if we could, you know, really, really understand how important our teeth are, just even, you know, our baby teeth, because that yeah. was the misconception. A lot of parents were unaware that, oh, well, I thought those ones were going to fall out anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think we have a long way to go in dentistry because people do not think oral care, taking care of your teeth is essential. And it is mm -hmm. because we see patients at their end of the life, like you provide hospice care. And with my grandmother having two front teeth, 
if you don't have your teeth, you're not getting nutrition in. And nutrition, again, is vital, let alone yes. the power of a smile. When patients are missing a lot of teeth, they don't smile. They don't want to be social. And that also has exactly. a huge impact for life quality. And I wholeheartedly believe when I was in hygiene school, I started a program to have chair side, bedside, wound one time with mom before she left hospital. Just as moms are taught how to breastfeed, change a baby, bathe a baby. I want to absolutely oral care. Wiping the baby's mouth out after you breastfeed, getting them used to that oral mechanism, whether it's your finger, whether it's a little baby toothbrush, just getting something in there and talking about it, looking into mom's mouth, mom and dad's mouth or the caregiver's mouth and opening up that conversation and letting them know, hey, this is when you should bring your baby in to the dentist. This is when teeth erupt. You know, talk about water. You have these conversations right at the beginning of life to at least help get them started on the right foot. Because people are just not aware and it's very overwhelming when you have a baby at home. So just kind of even dropping that note in to when you have a baby taking ownership of their mouth, their teeth, I think that it could really implement, um, it could really just kick off a whole new world in terms of teeth, in terms of oral care, in terms of systemic health. Because again, it goes back to something we always talk about, teeth, our mouth, we are all one body. We're yeah, we're connected. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we also, it's very, very common for patients to have bleeding gums and not realize that that's a sign of infection. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bleeding gums are a sign of infection in your mouth. So I think that a lot of awareness needs to go on a lot. We have such an we can together bind together as a community and really help each other. I think that we will thrive as, you know, RDHAPs. I yes. think right now, like you said, a lot of, a lot of people are unaware of RDHAPs. And I think that if there were more awareness, then, you know, we would slowly grow. And then, you know, there's so many, so many millions and millions of people in, a, in California. There is definitely enough, for yeah. every RDHAP. And so I think we should work as a team in getting each other, you know, even patients and helping each other yeah. really, um, oh, you yeah. know, to, I to help. Agree. I, think I think right on with you, Allison. We just need to be one big team of RDHAPs because the truth is there's more than enough patients for everyone. I will never mm -hmm. understand how, you know, maybe some cattiness or, you know, people want to, you know, that's my contract and I'm going to sell you my contract. It's, just, it's a more ethical practice. These people need help. They need care. And there's enough patients to go around and there's enough people that severely need our help. So I definitely think, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that too, just for me, when I first, you know, I, I'm still, I consider myself someone that's new in this whole industry because I practiced for like maybe four months and then I went on maternity leave and then COVID happened. Yeah. So I have like, I'm, I'm fresh as an RDHAP as well. And I feel like I reached out to a lot of different RDHAPs and everyone had their little input and some people were very angry that some you know like you just said like about the contracts and you can't get in and and I think wow you know what from a business perspective like more power to that RDHAP who has contracts across the state that's amazing and yeah. that's 
that's something huge, you know, that, you know, I thrive to have at least one home in a contract, you know? So I think that like, we just need to support each other and we really just need to see it as, yes, it is a business, but more so we are all here for the common goal. And that is to keep people's mouths healthy, to keep them, their smiles till they're a hundred. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, I think, yeah, keep those teeth in there as until we die. I mean, exactly. I really think that if you have teeth, you are living. I mean, yes. I'm Italian and we like to eat, so I want to have <laughs> my teeth. I mean, and I just love to smile. And I just really, it breaks my heart when I, now people wear masks, right? So everywhere you go, I smile. And I don't think people notice my smile because I'm all masked up. But I, you know, have these conversations with people in my chair when they're missing their front teeth and they, they're crying and they're saying, I don't smile anymore. I don't go out with my friends anymore to lunch or brunch because I'm missing my teeth. And I just think about that. I just think, God, that is just terrible. And that breaks my heart because that impacts that person mentally. And that For the rest of their life exactly. as well, you know, and... I mean, I can talk from experience. I did not have a front tooth because I have an implant and I didn't have a front tooth for about a year and it was traumatic. It was so stressful. So I can't even imagine, you know, not being and having the ability to have that implant. You know, that's that's something that... Unfortunately, I feel like if you are missing a front tooth, I feel that employers or people are just so judgy, judgy, right? Like they're going to automatically just label you Mm -hmm. or think of something and they don't you don't have to open your mouth you don't have to say anything but automatically they label you something yeah they give you a title in their head and it's really sad because we all have a story we all have a past and there's a reason for it it doesn't mean anyone's a bad person absolutely it's just whether people don't have access to care Mm -hmm. don't have the funds for it uh, there's a number of reasons why people don't have it, but I think it goes back to nailing in. Prevention starts at birth. Absolutely. And we need to do a better job worldwide, let alone California. But I think, shoot, California, we're making money in California. We can afford to help people of California establish the proper oral hygiene care and, and routine and, and just get the word out. It's more about the message, right? Absolutely. see to these new moms or new families and saying, hey, Oral care is important. Your oral care is important. And so is the baby's. And just the exchange of bacteria. I mean, there's so much we can do to help people. And I'm just excited in thinking the future for the RDHAP. Absolutely. Because it's so huge. Yes, I love that. And that's exactly what I'm thinking, too. Like, the future, this is this whole coronavirus, I honestly feel like it was a great stop for everyone as a whole to reevaluate our lives and to realize what's important, what's not important, what can we change and how can we be better? Not only just as a person, as a community for, you know, for the future of of everyone. And so I think yeah, this is a big, a year of the awakening for sure. <laughs> yeah, you hit the net, the head right there. Um, I think that it is. It's just, again, goes back to something I think we talked about in the first podcast, but it's just about having a good heart and holding tight to those ethics and doing the right thing. And RDHAPs usually have such a great hold on that. And we come with such love and compassion 
that I really can see us sparring so much for the state of California and serving so many more populations and providing even more services, which I'm, I advocate for. I think that we can provide safer whitening um, with the ability if we, we gain that licensing or we can gain that in our licensing to provide safe whitening treatments Absolutely. to patients and going to the nail salon, going to the mall, going to get their haircut. I think that is a public safety hazard to have patients receive bleaching or whitening elsewhere. I think that we should open up, uh, we should be able to do those services for our patients as well. So I do advocate for more. Absolutely. Honestly, that is huge. You know, so many people go to the mall and get their teeth whitened. They go to the fair, they get their teeth whitened, but their gums are bleeding all over the place. And it's like, wow, like, you know, our focus should be on health, you know, and yeah. And so I 100%, I think that we as a team, we need to really advocate with each other and, and, you know, get each other healthy. And, you know, the aging population, you'd be surprised a lot of them want their teeth whitened. They're like, you know, yes. why is my teeth so yellow? And I'm like, you know, as we age, they get, you know, more porous, they turn yellow. It's, you know, something that happens. And so yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely agree. I think, and also that goes along with people's mental health and their confidence. Absolutely. Smiling. If you feel good, then you smile, you know, and if your teeth are white, unfortunately, that's, that's how we think societally. Um, you're going to smile more. Like, yeah. And that is such a beautiful thing. And the more you smile, the more happiness we spread. And with the state of depression, anxiety, this mental health huge problem it's like that's like a whole nother pandemic i think yes we need to be able to provide that we are the best providers possible and um, we need to be able to do more california yes. let us do more let us see more and let us make us force our dhap into schools into every single facility absolutely we need to be a part of it yeah we do absolutely i agree a hundred percent we are here to help each other and to help the society and to give access to care to everyone. So let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this was such an awesome topic. I'm so happy that we addressed it. And if you guys have questions about becoming an RDHAP, please reach out to Allison and I. I think that we have some really good um, information to share with you guys. You can find us on Instagram and we have Facebook pages. But yeah, we're always willing to help and our two cents in absolutely like come out reach reach out to us we are all here to help each other and to move forward and you have to buy nicole's book the new edition because she's been working so hard on it and she is like the guru i followed her book when i ordered everything and got my my feet up off the ground and started my rdhap business so a hundred percent check her out Oh, you're so sweet. I'm just so excited to finally launch this because it was going to launch and then COVID happened. And then it's like, oh my God, the revisions and everything else that I had to make and like research and think through. It went from being 40 pages to over 100. I am so, it's so excited. Information and it really is more cohesive now. I feel just a lot more confident by putting this new book out. So yeah, I'm excited too. I thank you so much for putting it out there. But yeah, start starting simple. Just starting simple. Start, you know, start.
Perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Yes. We are so happy for anyone and everyone. So thank you. And we'll listen to our next podcast coming next week. Yay.